context, we learned about what was really happening. And essentially what Elimelech did was he went directly against the promises of God and he chose to move his family from God's country to a foreign nation. He chose to do that. Then we also see not only does he die, we see that his two sons die and they have taken two foreign Moabite women, one of which is Ruth, the, the, title, the, the title of the whole book. So we saw that, but then we see that the two sons end up passing as well, thus setting us in just a roller coaster uh, of different things that had to do with the law, with emotions, a lot of things have happened. But essentially where we are is we've splashed we covered three things. We covered that God's promises never end. They're unending no matter what we think, no matter what we see. God's promises are unending. Then we saw man's disobedience. That's the part whenever um, Elimelech tried, to, tried to, to do something on his own. He tried to finish everything on his own. He knew the correct thing to do. He knew what God's promises said to do, but he chose to take his own route. And then finally, we see that we, at some point, all have a decision to make, and that is that we should come home to the Father. And that's what we see Naomi and Ruth choose to do is... We see very early in the book that, that Naomi hears of, that the famine has ended in Bethlehem and in Judah, and they choose to go home. Well, they go home, and there's a lot of really cool things that happen. We see they get there, and, and, and we, we had looked at Deuteronomy, we had saw that, that the law had suggested a lot of things that needed to happen, or had, the, had suggested that the law had mandated a lot of things that needed to happen in order for them to survive. In order for them to survive at all, we have to have the law that's laid out in Deuteronomy because without it, there wouldn't have been any food on the ground. They wouldn't have been able to glean from any fields, anything to that effect. So that's essentially where we're brought to in chapter number three is that Ruth has gone, has found favor with what they know as one of their relatives, one of their kinsmen in Boaz, and they have, um, they, they've made a relationship, not, not any type of intimate relationship, nothing to that effect uh, to this point, but Boaz has seen her, Boaz recognizes who she is, and he has told her, you come glean and harvest from my fields and from my fields only. I, I, I have allowed for my protection to come over you because if you go to these other fields, there is a risk that you will be harmed. There is a risk that you may be taken advantage of, and that will not happen here with me. So that's what we see up until this point. Uh, there's a lot of other moving parts happening, a lot of theology there, a lot of really cool points there. But we're going to dive, and we're going to finish the book of Ruth today. I'm not going to read it all. We'll, we'll, we'll make it out of here, I promise. But we are going to read a few verses out of chapter 3. <clears throat> if you found your places with me, if you would stand, if you're physically able, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 of Ruth chapter 3. The word says this, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor, Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. 
But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Verse 5 says this, And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for your word and what it teaches us. And Father, I pray that you will take over, that you'll take me out of this whole equation, that you'll allow for my words to be yours, and that you'll allow for hearts to be softened, that you'll allow for people to be responsive to the words that you have for them this morning. Father, we love you. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Guys, there's, there's, there's three real observations that, that, we, that I have gleaned from this passage. And yes, this is a typical Southern Baptist thing. I alliterated. I'm sorry. It's a thing. For those of you who just know, don't know what that means, you'll see here just a little bit. Everything will seem a little bit too in line. Uh, we see in verses 1 through 5 something very important. And I think before we go any farther into the text, we have to admit this. We have to own this as believers today. We're all searching. Every single one of us in this room are searching. Whether you're searching for a, a deeper relationship with Jesus, or whether you're searching for the purpose that this whole life has in general, it doesn't matter. We are all searching. But this is what we see. The human condition is a condition that is based around constant exploration. We always want to learn more. We always want to find more. We always have questions. Questions. We're always kind of, well, I need to find this, or I need to understand that. There's a, a conversation that I've had with my dad quite a few times, and, and talking about whenever I was a young boy, was I always ask, why? 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 And his reply to me is always, I don't know. I just always said, yes, sir. And I think that's a generational thing that has changed over over the past 50 or so years is that we're a very curious group of people. And I think we always have been curious, but I think that as time has gone, we've become a little bit more open about that curiosity. So we, we always want to know why. We, we, we don't just take this is the answer as the answer anymore. You can't just come up to someone and say, okay, this is the correct way to do this, and then them just take that as fact. They will look at you and say, why? 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 Right now, one of the common ones that's happened in the past 10 or so years is, is math. Um, if, you have, if you've ever seen the movie The Incredibles, one of my favorite things in, in is the, I think it's the second Incredibles, is Mr. Incredible gets so frustrated because he's trying to help 
this little boy with his homework, and he gets frustrated. He said, they said, but, but Dad, that's, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. He said, when did they change math? You can't change math. But they, they sort of change the different things, and it's something that, that throws us sometimes into a little bit of a fit because we are not big on change. We're not. I don't mind change, but there are things. I like the change that I want to have. I like the change that, that maybe I've initiated. One of them, this may be you guys think this is mine. If I've laid out a set of plans, if I've laid out an itinerary, and something changes, I get anxious. Just naturally. Like, it's not intentional. It's not that I'm, I'm mad at anyone for changing those plans. But if I've laid out this whole big old thing for a group of friends of mine, and this is what we're going to go do, and they tell me, and I say, you know what, I was thinking about it. Um, instead of going to, to talk golf, what if we go rock climbing? And I'm like, I, I think rock climbing is fantastic, but I didn't plan rock climbing, and I just can't handle it. I'm like, no! Ah! I go over into a corner and start rocking back and forth or something. It, it's just... I can't handle change, and I think that's just naturally who we are as people. And I think that speaks to the fact that we're all searching for something. I really do. I think that those two things are so intertwined that if we're not careful, we'll miss it. But this is the beautiful thing. We see in verses 1 through 5 that Naomi is laying out a lot of things, a lot of information. But before we jump into that, I want to read you guys this story. It says, an elderly man was walking alongside a young boy one afternoon. As they continued down the path, the older man suggested that up ahead at the Y they turn left. Well, the boy, who was not concerned with nightfall or the coming darkness or anything to that effect, he sighed and he chose to go to the right. A few moments passed. And then all the old man hears, as he had expected to hear, is a loud crash and the breaking of wood and limbs. Of course, he goes to his aid because he's heard screaming as well. He gets there. He helps him, which to me, the fall wasn't very far. I mean, it was just a short distance. But the young boy immediately looked up <coughs> to the older man. He says, how did you know? the bridge was going to fall. And his response was, I built that bridge when I was a boy, and the wood was rotten in. There's something to be gleaned about knowledge. There's something to be gleaned about wisdom. And we see Naomi specifically saying, this is what you do. This is how you do it. There, there's we don't see a discussion here in verses 1 through 5. We don't see any type of variance. We literally just see Naomi saying, hey, this is the way our culture works. This is the thing that's going to be beneficial for you. I'm looking out for you. She says it very plainly at the beginning. She says, my daughter, should I, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? She doesn't say, you're going to listen to me because this is going to help all of us. Even though it eventually does, she says, you know, I'm on here. I've done this whole life thing before. And it's my responsibility to take care of you. So I'm going to. 
so that it will be well with you. So she lays it out. She says, this is what you do. This is where you go. This is how you handle it. And we really see something cool here, guys, that we, a lot of people may not look at, is that this is really a discipleship-type relationship, isn't it? This is, this is a, a, a Paul and Timothy-type relationship. We've talked about those in the past, haven't we? We see that Naomi has information, and as opposed to clinging to that information and, and doing that whole, um, that, that save my employment type deal, don't teach the young guy because then you'll be pushed out type deal, we all see that in the workplace, right? She doesn't do that. She, she takes that information and she says, okay, it's yours. It's yours. Last week we talked about the Levitical law and how we saw that Elimelech would have known certain things that would have changed his decision had he really paid attention. This week we see the exact same thing, is that Naomi knows something, Naomi has information, and she has a choice to make. Either she is going to give that to Ruth or she's not. And she does. She knows that right now that Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor. What does that mean? We always hear that. It sounds fantastic. Essentially what that means is that it's the end of the harvest, and this is an important night because it doesn't say go to the threshing floor, that's a place in his house where he's going to be hanging out. No, it says go to the threshing floor, and we go back and we look. This literally would have been a large place out in the harvest where they would have put all the grain in which they had taken. The entire harvest is here. Out in the middle of everything, it's right here, and it was so important that evening. This is a big night. Again, last time, last week we saw they came right on time for the harvest, right? They got there right on time for the food they needed. Tonight is the night whenever she knows that Boaz is going to take it upon himself. He is not going to give this task to his servants. He's not going to give this task to anyone else. He is staying, staying with his harvest. He is protecting it because this is his livelihood. This is everything to him this year. This is all that he has. He is going to lay there and make sure no one comes in to try to take him. This is an important night. This is not just another Tuesday. This is the night. So all this happens, and we see that Naomi gives this information to Ruth, and as opposed to what a lot of us would have done, she goes. This is what a lot of us would have done. Uh, I think I'm going to go right instead of left. I think I'm going to do my own thing. This, this is fantastic. That's good. That's great. I'm glad you're trying to help me, but I don't think that's the best time to do it. This is an important night for him. I don't want to get into the way. We're all searching, but we all have to surrender. We have to. We have no choice. We must surrender. Verses 6 through 9 show it. And, and, and plainly, it shows that she takes the information that she has, and it says in verse 6, so she went. I don't have to read anything else from that passage. So she went. She had a, a set group of instructions, and she said, okay, I'm going. Plainly, easily. We talked about surrender a little bit last week, and we talked about it a little bit before. But I want us to really just take that word in this morning. This is what the actual definition of surrender is. Surrender is to abandon oneself entirely to something. That's what surrender is. To abandon oneself entirely to something. 
Notice that it doesn't say to be pessimistic about something. It doesn't say to be lethargic about something. It doesn't say to be defeated in something. It doesn't say that. What it says is to completely abandon yourself, abandon your priorities, abandon all of your motivations entirely to a thing. Completely. Without question. We surrender. Jesus. We're not pessimistic, and we're especially not defeated, because at that moment we join his ranks, we join his family. We join the, the, the greatest group of people that have ever existed and ever will exist in, 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 in mankind in history because we have surrendered ourselves. Not because we went to the gym, not because we ran a bunch of miles, not because we went through a, a crazy amount of training, but because we literally just laid ourselves down and said, here I am. Here I am. <clears throat> we see that theme all throughout the scripture, don't we? Here my Lord send me. We see that in Isaiah. <clears throat> we see the apostles do the same thing. And, and, and he says, follow me. And it says that they immediately dropped their nets and followed. It didn't say, Jesus said, follow me. But first, you have to go to boot camp. It didn't say follow me, but first you got to get your life right. It didn't say follow me, but first you got to get stronger, you got to get faster, you got to be better than before. Literally just says, "Come on, let's do it, let's go." It's almost like we see a little bit of, of, of excitement there, where it's just like, "Okay, guys, all right, so we got this really cool thing we got to do. We're going to go and we're going to change the world. Y'all ready? Let's go, let's go, go!" It's like a little kid just excited to go play, right? How many small children have you ever said, hey, let's go play ball, but first got to go to the batting cages first? Probably some kid that did that, I don't know. But Ruth had been given very specific instructions. This is, this is 2019 Ruth, though. <coughs> if 2019 Ruth had been given these instructions, this is probably what she would have said. I can't do this. Um, what if he rejects me? What if he doesn't like me? 2019 Ruth may have said, uh, what, what if I'm not good enough? 2019 Ruth may have said, but hey, I have a past. She didn't. She didn't say any of those things. She didn't get any type of, of, of mindset in that way. She literally just said, I'll go. And, and this is why, this is why, guys, and, this, and I need you guys to hear this. I need you to hear this so so much this morning is that to all of those things that Ruth said, this is what Jesus says, I'll never reject you. She says, what if he rejects me? I'll never reject you. But then he says, what if I'm not good enough? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. But then he even says, I have a past. He says, I want your past. I want it. I want your past. I want your present. And I want your future. That's, I want all of you. But we allow for ourselves to get down on ourselves. We allow for ourselves to get into the mindset of, you know what, I just, I've got to get myself together first. I've got to get to a better place first. No, you don't. Come here, and then Jesus will get you to a better place. You can't do this by yourself. Elimelech, who was in chapter 1, he tried to do it by himself. He couldn't do it by himself. He, he refused to surrender. He refused to surrender. Ruth says this in verse 9b. She says, 
I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Some of your texts may say, in verse 9, may say, your garments. Don't panic. That's not any type of, um, that's not any type of mistake or, or any type of contradiction. You've got that. That's literally just a, a biblical mandate saying, hey, okay, you're laying, cover, pull up your garment, cover me, and that's what she means by these wings. We see this in, in multiple places in the text, is that, hey, I'm laying myself down here, I'm making myself vulnerable, I'm making myself less than what I've ever been before. Cover me up and protect me, please. Verses 10 and 11 say this. I want to actually just read these verses to you guys. It says, in verse number 10, if I can find it, boom. And he said, after she, she made that proclamation, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have gone after young men, you haven't gone after young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. We see that we are born. We're not, not, not anything like, there, there's, there's no other purpose than this. This is why we're born. We are born for salvation. We're born for salvation. We're born for no other reason. I, I used to be, I, used, I was hung up on this for a long time, is to find purpose. So to look through and figure out what, what that looks like, and, and, and I used to be like, okay, so purpose equals um, um, leading worship, or purpose equals preaching, or purpose equals teaching, or purpose equals discipleship, and then I, it all came to me, and I realized through through the word that that, that is not my purpose, my purpose is salvation, and that salvation allows for us to experience all the other things. There's a singular purpose and then once we've experienced that purpose, which is salvation, then we allow to join the ranks of Jesus, to join the family of Jesus, and we're so excited about the fact that we found our purpose that when we truly experience that, that, that revelation, that, that heart change, that we want everybody else to do the same. We can't contain it. We, we truly realize that salvation is that purpose. We want everyone to find that purpose. I'm from Boaz, Alabama, and it, it saddens me to say that I didn't know this story until I was probably a teenager. Maybe even later than that. It's just, we, we see not only in the namesake town, but there's so many places that, oh, it's, it's four chapters. I'll read through it. Cool, it's a good story. It's about kindness. It's about love. It's about redemption. It is about those things. But we'll miss so much. We miss so, so much. We see Ruth laying herself down at the feet of Jesus, or at the feet of Boaz, who represents Jesus here. And there's a lot of people who would say this. There's a lot of people who try to make this accusation, is that Ruth is seducing Boaz here. If, if you read that, and you don't pay attention, there's a lot of people who would say, Ruth just went in there and seduced him. She went and got what she wanted. That's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. We literally see that this would have been the cultural way to handle things. It wasn't a matter of you didn't go 
to, to a court. You didn't go to a high official. You went directly to the person in which you knew could help you, and they helped you. And then we see, we didn't read it in the text, but we see that after this, Boaz says, it's true, I am a kinsman, redeemer of yours, but there is one who's closer than I am. So what I'll do is I'll go talk to him, and if he wants to redeem you, if he wants to take care of you, that's what will happen. But if not, I'll do it. What a man whose primary goal was seductive or fleshly have handled the situation in this way. No. He saw a need. He saw his family. He saw there was someone hurting. And he said, you know what? We're going to handle this the way it was meant to be handled. And he goes, and of course, just you can go read it yourself. It's in chapter 4. We see that the other kinsman chooses not to redeem her. So Boaz does it in the presence of so many other elders in the area. He takes her as his wife. Guess what? That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of what happens. It's not one of those just happily ever after. She found a husband. She made it out of death, destruction, that would be a great story in itself. But we see something in chapter 4 that brings it all together. Because if not, for this part in chapter 4, really it's just, it's just a good story. But this is where it comes into play. It says, in chapter 4, it says they end up having a child. Not only do they gain redemption, but they allow for that surrender to pay off in such a way where not only are, are they going to be saved, there's going to be a line, there's going to be a family, there's going to be the, the name's going to continue. Verse number 17 of chapter 4 says this. And the woman, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. This is the child in which they had. Saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. The father of David. Boom! I'm the only one who's probably excited about that. That's awesome. This is why. We know who David is. We know there's some cool stuff that David did. But we also know something else. If we go to the book of Matthew, which I'll allow for you guys to do that. If we go to the book of Matthew, we realize that Obed is the great, great, great to the 27th power grandfather of Jesus. So without Naomi, without this redemption, without all these things that are laid out in the Old Testament, guess what? We don't get to see the Messiah. We don't get to just experience the glory of the crucifixion. We don't get to experience the beauty of salvation. We are born for salvation. We see it in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. I guess I'm always excited about that because that's fantastic. As I get excited, maybe I'm a little hopper. Maybe I need less sugar. I don't know. But if we, if we, we have to glean this. We have to see this. That we see death. We see the beginning of the book of Ruth. We see a mistake. We see a mistake. Elimelech chooses to leave the presence of God in order to what? He thinks. 
is to save his family. Then we see death. We see destruction. We see pain. We see hurting. We see confusion. We see all of these things that we experience every single day. Guess what? This past week has been a hard week for Calhoun County because something terrible happened. And it would be easy for us to jump onto our horses and, and just and just talk about, oh, how can you do that? How could you do that? How could you do that? But this is an opportunity for us to see in this book that, yes, a, a mistake was made, but redemption comes, salvation comes, but only through the love of Jesus, only through the love of his people, only through those who fly his banner above their heads. This is our opportunity. Our opportunity is to take the word, take what we see in Ruth, take the hellacious journey that they went through. This was literally hell. Everything about what they went through was hell. And they could have lived in that. They could have. They could have stayed there. They could have been miserable. They could have given up. But time and time and time and time again, we see God in the presence of those people. We see in the very first, in, the, in six verses, we see that, that God speaks to Naomi through someone else and says, Hey, guess what? You can go home. There's food. Then we see they go back home and they don't know what to do. And then they go and they go, and Ruth goes into this field. And guess what? Hundreds of years before this, in the book of Deuteronomy, we see that the law had laid out, guess what? Whenever you go into these fields, I'm going to take care of you because they're not to harvest the outside. You're going to build a relationship with someone because, unfortunately, in the day in which we live, if you're not careful, you go into the wrong field, you're going to be abused. You're going to be taken advantage of. But I'm going to put someone in your path that's going to take care of you. Not only is they, are they going to take care of you, they're going to redeem you. They're going to redeem your family. You're going to gain a husband. You're going to gain a son. Not only are you going to gain a son, you're going to gain the son that saves the world. What path are we on this morning? Where are we in our walk with Jesus? Are we allowing for ourselves to be bitter? Are we allowing for ourselves to be angry? Are we allowing for ourselves to be proud? What are we doing? Or are we big enough? Are we strong enough to where we realize we can't do this? We can't. I can't. You can't. Nobody you know can. That grandfather that can do everything right, he can do it either. That parental figure that does no wrong, they can do it either. That favorite preacher or that favorite person in whom you've encountered who's just spoken so much truth into your life, though that truth was fantastic, guess what? They can do it either. We must surrender. We must look upward, not downward. We cannot live in our past. We must live in Jesus' future for our lives. Where are you this morning, guys? You must know this. We are all searching, every single one of us. We're searching. We must surrender. And if we'll do that, 
The search is over. We found salvation. And at that point, we started an entirely new journey. You guys can have that this morning. Maybe you have never met Jesus before. Maybe this is all new. Guess what? We've got a ticket right up here for you guys. You come, you ask Jesus into your heart, and then we begin what's called the sanctification process where you get to grow in Jesus. We learn, we live life together, and Jesus will take care of you. Does that mean everything's going to be fantastic all the time? Nope. Sure not. Guess what? It means you have a family. It means you have hope. Maybe you already know Jesus. Maybe you've already experienced that. But maybe you're living in your past. Stop. There's no beautiful way to say it. I, I, could, I could twist my words and make it sound a lot more pretty than that, but just stop. Because your past is it's over. One of my favorite quotes is this. There's a reason why the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. Because we need to remember our past, yes. But we don't need to focus on it. Leave it. Move forward. Just as Ruth did. Ruth and Naomi could have laid down and been done. But we see through Christ, through his presence in the Old Testament, through the love in which he gave them, through the redemption of Boaz and their kinsman redeemer, they found salvation. You can too this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We just ask you to help us. We just ask that you'll help us to just lay down everything. Father, the book of Ruth is a great example of what defeat looks like. The book of Ruth is a great example of what pain looks like. But it's also a great example of what hope looks like. And it's a fantastic example of what salvation looks like. Father, we're so thankful for the experiences of Ruth and Naomi. Though it was painful and though it was hard, we see that eventually, through their faithfulness and through God's provision, they were redeemed. Father, we can gain this morning if we'll just surrender. Father, there's someone who's in this room who just refuses to give it up who just refuses to, to let go, who's still in that mindset of, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this. Father, help them to realize they can't. It's not that, it's not that they're, they're not strong enough. None of us are strong enough. But just as the song says, that I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. Father, help us this morning just as the song suggested this morning, too, that you'll never stop fighting for me, even when I can't fight for myself. Father, please fight for us this morning. Fight for our hearts. Fight for our lives. Bring us to our knees this morning, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, it's up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to you. Don't turn right and allow for yourselves to, to fall down into a bridge that is crumbling. But listen. Glean. Believe. 
scripture are true and they are seeking nothing but the best for you. Surrender your life this morning. Pastor John and I will be standing up front. Just lay it down. Give it up. As we sing.